Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. While everybody was looking at all the nonsense that happened last weekend, Manchester City have quietly gone back to the top of the Premier League table and qualified from their Champions League group with ease. It's not often that you can win 6-1 and slip under the radar, but with all the headlines unfolding elsewhere, it seems that that's what's happened. Not that we'll be complaining on this week's Blue Moon podcast. In fact, a bit later on in the show, we'll be celebrating all the previous 6-1 wins City have had in the Premier League. Adam Carter from Stat City has been running the numbers for us. Before that, though, we'll be taking a look back over the games with Bournemouth and Young Boys, focusing on a few individual stories. Jeremy Doku stole a show at weekend, but then the news of John Stones' injury setback put a dampener on the midweek win. Then there's this weekend's trip to Chelsea to preview as well. We'll hear from the Athletics' Liam Toomey later in the show to find out what he's made of their start to the season. I'm David Mooney. With me for this week's show, I've got two City fans. Richard Burns. Hi there, David. And KC. You all right? Not bad, thanks, KC. You well, Richard? Yes, very well, thank you. Are you? Uh, yeah, I'm not bad. Not bad. We're getting there. We're getting there. It's, uh, it's my birthday uh, coming up this week, so uh, I am feeling the... Uh, the cold grip of age. Yeah, but more importantly, it's your better half's birthday today. So happy it, birthday, Sam! It is literally my better half's birthday today, uh, and I'm spending it recording podcasts. He's in work, so it's fine. So I'm not like like ruining the day. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, there we go. We'll uh, we'll all listen to this later on as a as a celebratory birthday treat. I think. Happy birthday, Sam! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, let's talk about the football. Um, for the 2023-24 season, the Blue Moon podcast is sponsored by Green King Sports, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every televised City fixture over the course of the season. That includes this weekend's trip to Stamford Bridge. So if you're not going to the game, instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. This season, Green King has launched the Green King Sports Instagram page, which will be home to fan content, deals and competitions through throughout the season. They've already given away Champions League final tickets and signed shirts, so you don't want to miss out. Drop them a follow on Instagram and you won't just be the first to know about all of this. You'll be helping out the Blue Moon podcast as well. Um, Richard, let's start with uh, kind of a a little bit of an overview of the week, really, because um, obviously I said at the the start of the show, gone back top of the Premier League quite quietly, given everything else that's been going on. Um, Threw in the Champions League, not quite won the group yet, but pretty much there. Um, Good week, all told, really. Very good, yeah. Um, I think the league win over um, over Bournemouth was... I mean, Bournemouth aren't a particularly good Premier League football team, are they? But it's those kind of games where I think you see that City are really stepping up again now because we've played other Premier League teams this season that are um, teams that I guess you'd expect to be closer to the bottom end and haven't put them them to the sword in anything like um, the the manner that we did to Bournemouth. It it looked very, very easy. And although it obviously not the hardest opponent we'll face this season, not not the hardest opponent we'll face this month, um, but you still have to, to do the job. 
and City did it exceptionally well. Some great individual performances, brilliant team performance. Yeah, and, and for the Champions League win as well, I think it looked routine. And again, there's a lot to be said for um, City's group has been pretty favourable as a Champions League group can go. But there's also, um, there's a reason that they can make games look so easy. And it's not because young boys are in of themselves a terrible football team. It's it's all the work that goes into that. And it was just a, a highly competent display um, I think it can be both. Young boys are shite. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay, I'll do the glass half full bit then. Um, <laughs> That's not yeah. like you. City, no, well, I suppose it's a step up from sitting on the fence. Um, yeah, City were, they were very, very good, weren't they? They got the job done. There were some great plays, some great goals. Um even if the opponent was, as we have now revised uh, revised to, shite. Yeah. Um, Casey, are you <laughs> less impressed than with the week that City have had? <laughs> well, well, well I, I, obviously, I'm fuming with the 6-1 result. I know. Like, I, know. Why, like, I think I messaged you guys as soon as it happened. Um, I, I think I just put fuck in capital letters and, and exclamation points. Um, yeah, just just typical in it that that a six one comes in the week before I'm back on the show. Um, but yeah, uh, but other other than other than that, um, personal downer where we didn't where the money didn't come in for the the food bank that uh, that would have been ideal. Um, I've, yeah, I was very impressed with both performances, but but like Richard um, sort of alluded to, both teams were were pretty pedestrian, weren't they? Yeah. Um, the the other side of this, Casey, is the week, uh, as I say, back to the top of the Premier League, top of the Champions League group, needing a point to qualify. Um, a couple of other records as well. 100th win in Europe, uh, excluding for some reason playoff games and qualifying games. Um, 18 unbeaten in a, in a row now in, in Europe as well. Uh, that's kind of quietly snuck up on us. Yeah. Was there a stat the other night saying that we were the fastest team to, to do that in, yeah. in the league or something? Yeah, it's it's like suddenly very quietly, City have, have uh, become really good in Europe. I mean, we know that because we won the, co- the the competition last season. But it, it, it's just kind of like out of nowhere, this competition that we're all a bit cynical about. It's like, oh yeah, we're, we're actually we're just just dominating that as well now. Yeah, it's not not a bad way to be, is it? Just being the best team in the world, really, is it? Yeah, not bad at all. Um, I think there's there is only one way to celebrate a uh, hundred wins in Europe, though. No. It's a quiz on City's 100 European wins. I, I half anticipated that to be a lead into a Green King advert. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Very sorry, but uh, no, it's actually a lead into a quiz. So uh, a bit of housekeeping for this one. Uh, the 100 wins are all wins in 90 minutes. So it could include first legs or second legs of ties that City lost overall, but won on the night. Um, it doesn't include games that were drawn but won on penalties. It also, for some reason, does not include playoff rounds or qualifying rounds. Um, you can take that up with Opta. I don't know what their what their criteria is. But for instance, uh, the home and away wins over Timmy Schwara don't count in this uh, in this hundred wins, even though they were in European competition. So, other than that, it's uh, the usual six questions, uh, three each. Uh, Richard, you can go first. Which one would you would you like? One. Question number one. Uh, which of City's scorers in the European Cup Winners' Cup final against Gornick in 1970 <laughs> was also celebrating their 26th birthday that day? Peter Barnes. It was not. Francis Lee. Oh, crikey. Didn't... I don't know. 
Yeah. There's my there's my my uh, history failing me completely. Exactly. I've known that once upon a time. So swing and a miss. Can you say what you having? <laughs> uh, number five. Number five. Uh, who was the only player to score in the wins over PSG in 2021 that wasn't Riyad Mahrez? Um, PSG in 2021. Uh, Gundogan. No, De Bruyne. De Bruyne oh, got the equaliser in uh, in Paris. Yes, it was. Yeah. So oh, another swing and a miss. Nil nil. Over to you, Richard. Uh, two, please. Number two. Uh, which player has scored hat tricks for City in Europe, both for and against Pep Guardiola? Sergio Aguero. It is uh, City 3, Bayern 2 in 14-15 uh, and City 5, Mönchengladbach 0 in 16-17. Uh, so, 1-0. KC, over to you. Uh, number 4. Number 4. Who is the only English team that City have beaten in 90 minutes in Europe? Spurs. It is Spurs. 1-1. Okay, two questions left. This will decide it, Richard. Number 3, please. Number three. Oh, you're going to get this one because I've got a feeling you were there. Uh, in oh. which country did Kevin Keegan win his only away European game that wasn't in a qualifying round? Belgium. It was Belgium. So, KC, you're going uh, to need this one. Question six. Right. From which country were the very first team that City beat in Europe? Uh, um, Turkey. No, it wasn't Turkey. They didn't beat Fenerbahce, unfortunately. Yeah, I knew, I knew they didn't, but it was the only one I could think of in the early rounds back then. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, Athletic Bilbao, Spain. They were they won three 0 at Main Road in nineteen sixty nine seventy. So, Richard, two uh, one winner. Luck of the draw. I, for what it's worth, I also would have said Turkey on that question, yeah, and, and been wrong, of course. But, yeah, yeah it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have got any right. I read you said it. In <laughs> case yeah. Uh, yeah, I should have got the De Bruyne one. Should have got the De Bruyne one. Yeah. There we go. Uh, I did have a tiebreaker prepared, so just in case anybody uh, wants to know what that was. Uh, how many goals have City scored in their 100 wins in Europe? Closest wins. Richard, what would you said? 260. KC? 240. Uh, it's 290. Oh. There we go. Yeah, they've actually uh, they've, they've handed out a few batterings in Europe in the time. So there we go. Yeah, well done, everyone. Well, well done, none of us. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Blue Moon Podcast, and we're very sorry about that. Let's talk about some of the individual players uh, for this week, uh, because KC, um, taking in the Bournemouth game in particular, uh, Jeremy Doku obviously got the headlines, um, four assists and uh, and a goal. It was a very, very exciting performance. What have you thought of his uh, of his impact so far at City? Uh, he's... Um, he's- hit the ground running really hasn't he to to use a cliche but uh i I think uh i'm probably in the majority in expecting him to take more time to have uh, to have settled in than he actually has done he's he's just he seems to have um pep's license like a a freedom license to sort of do whatever he wants go past players you know sort of use his own initiative um and he's not um, hamstrung by. I suppose I, I. I don't feel that Pep hamstrings the players as much as uh, uh, m- many people seem to think. Uh, in terms of the tactics and having to pass it back and hold possession and things like that, but he see he does seem to have been given more freedom 
or or whether it's the case that he's just ignoring it and doing his own thing at the moment because he's not used to the tactics and it's working. Um, but he's he's just been absolutely superb. And um, any any of those kind of players, um, you know, when you think back, uh, some wingers that we've had over the years, you know, your Sane's, um, your Sterling's, etc., and stuff like that. People that get you up off your seat are always uh, always welcome. Um, and yeah, I've I've just really enjoyed watching him play, um, and we've not even slightly missed Mares, which is a huge compliment, you know, that you can play, pay to Doku. Um, you know, I think we've got three world class wingers in Grealish, Foden, and and Doku. Um, yeah, he's just been been superb, really. There's yeah. there's not really much, there's not really been any downside to him at all so far. Um, I've not really. I don't think we've re- because of the games that he's picked and chosen for him to play, and I don't think we've really needed to see what he's had to do defensively. Um, so I think that's still to come. So I, I don't think it's the case that he might necessarily be poor defensively. I just don't think in the game. Not seen it yet. Yeah, we've we've not had to see it, but I think it, yeah, I just think he's been he's been excellent. Yeah, Richard, it's it's interesting that um, I mean, Casey said there about getting basically getting bums off seats when he gets the ball, um, and I think it's interesting that despite how good I mean, City won a treble last season and were were, were fantastic going forward, certainly at the end of the season, um, and yet you still also feel like like they needed that injection of someone who can do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely think there's something to be said for that. Um, I. I would definitely say I think there have been games this season where City haven't been particularly exciting. And I think like when you, hopefully this makes sense and doesn't sound too entitled, but I think when you ally that with like coming off the back of winning the treble, like we spoke a lot about like at the start of the season about what would the player's attitude be like? Would there be a bit of a subconscious drop off? Um, through sort of having achieved everything and obviously it's not really materialized for the players but I think like if I'm honest I've maybe felt a little bit of that as a fan whereby a game not like games don't feel like necessarily they have the same jeopardy to them because it's like the worst case scenario is the season after winning everything we don't win anything and that is (laughs) like that doesn't feel that bad as much as I want the four in a row and as great as it'd be to win the Champions League again and as great as like absolute dream scenario it'd be to win back-to-back trebles unlikely though that might be like that still doesn't feel like a great amount of peril and so I would I definitely think like having a player who every time he gets the ball there's that sense that you don't know what he's going to do which isn't necessarily the same for lots of City players because the patterns of play, you, you get used to them. And it, it, he's almost always going to try and beat his man and he's going to carry the ball forward. Or, you know, when he's got the ball at his feet, it's usually going to go forward. But yeah, like it, 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 is, it just adds that extra element of excitement. And Pep said it himself, like it gets the fans off the seats and it even excites Pep. And it's interesting that so a player who on the face of it is the least Pep player we have, um, is sort of the the one who has come in and confounded that expectation that Pep's players take a season to settle in. And I'm sure he will become more Pep as we go, but Pep isn't really showing any signs in anything that he's saying and the way he lights up when he talks about him. He's not showing any signs of wanting to coach any of that adventurous play out of him. I think it's just 
refining the, that decision making, which I must say is already pretty good in itself, but just refining that decision making, and, and you know, he'll he'll become more in tune with City's tactics as he goes. But it's just brilliant, and it's mm. it's just a great a great great asset to have. He's, he's so much fun. I absolutely the, love him. There definitely has been a change in Pep's thinking with the players that he's brought in, like not just with Doku, but even to a lesser extent Nunes and, and Kovacic. That he's 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 brought in players that can carry the ball past people this season, um, which is a def- definite change to you know the the passing game that he normally um, goes along. But I do agree that you know Doku is just on another level in terms of being a catalyst for that attack. Yeah. Okay. So are you surprised at how much freedom Guardiola's given him so far? Uh, y- yes, I am. Um, probably not as surprised as probably uh, outside fans are looking in. Um, but like Richard said, I think he will be refined gradually. Um, uh, you know, as as time goes on. But but like I said, with the signings that he's made, he's clearly transitioning to a team that can take the ball past players rather than passing it around them. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I think it he's fitting into what Pep's uh, long-term goal for this version of the, the post-treble side is going to be. Yeah. Um, he also, I mean, Guardiola said after uh, uh, the Bournemouth game that he wants him to be a bit more versatile, Richard, basically better from the right-hand side. Um, do you see that as well? Because he's played on the right a couple of times, but I'm I'm still seeing somebody who likes to take his man on and get past them and get in the box. Yeah, and I think, I suppose this is the difference between what a, um, a highly perceptive and intuitive coach sees it and what a fan sees like I, I'd very much agree with you on that I still get that same the same buzz when he's on the right I still get the feeling that he's going to try and take on a man get to the byline and like you say get the ball into the box the um second goal against Bournemouth um it was the second wasn't it where he yeah. um the sort of jelly legs and then the the pass to Bernardo like that that was from the right and was a great bit of play so yeah I suppose there's always a bit of a difference between how we're um a winger plays on either wing because one, I suppose, gives you more opportunity to go around the outside. One requires you to cut in more, but I think he seems pretty adept at both of those things on either wing. Um, but if, if Pep's seeing that, then that's got to be a great thing for us as supporters because that means this this young lad who's settled in so well is notching up assist records and um, you know he's, get, he's getting on the score sheet a bit that we're seeing that Pep thinks he's obviously got quite a bit more to add to his game. Um, that's great. Would you see him playing through the middle if the need arose? I think he'd more likely put Grealish there, to be honest. Yeah, I'd in the agree middle. Yeah, I, I, I can never see Grealish in the middle now. I, the young boys game. He played there at yeah. the end of the young boys game. I think I think Pep's got ideas for for getting Grealish into the middle if Doku is uh, is on one of the flanks and Foden on the other if if the need if if the need arose. Mm, maybe yeah. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you, David. That I think he's. Um, I certainly think for now. He's much more suited out wide. I think his his sort of bursts of pace lend themselves more to um, more to being on the wing. There's nothing to say that he, he couldn't come inside more. Um, football's not a static game. Starting on the wing doesn't mean that he won't come uh, that he couldn't come into the middle. But I do think as a starting point and, and maybe where he um, is going to do his best work for a while will be um, getting the ball out wide and, and working it from there. I think that's what his skills 
currently lend themselves to. Yeah, and uh, we mentioned Grealish, KC. Um, after the Young Boys game, Grealish was quoted on TV. Uh, what well, quoted on TV? He was interviewed on the television. He wasn't. He wasn't quoted, um, and he said that again that he needs to score and assist more. Um, and then he kind of he, he kept throwing in there that he knows what he brings to the team, but basically he wants his numbers to be better. Uh, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I, I saw that interview actually, um, but he's, he said that quite a few times in the past um, and it's not really changed too much, has it really? Um, I'd, I, I, think, I think he offers enough to the team as it is, but I, I wonder whether he is, you know, getting a bit um, sort of... Angsty maybe. Well, maybe not angsty, but maybe it's the case that Doku's going to push him more to, to up those numbers himself. Um, and there's nothing wrong with a bit of healthy competition, is there? Yeah, um, I, I just find it interesting because uh, obviously in that in that first season, Guardiola was at pains to point out that that um, Grealish was doing exactly what he wanted, and at the same time, uh, Grealish keeps saying. I mean, he said it after Wolves last season as, as well that he wants his his numbers to be better, and then like ultimately he's he's a key part in a team that wins a treble, and like you can't overlook that work that he put in like at the end of last season, can you, Richard? No, and um, I'm glad you picked out the Wolves interview because that's the one that I always think of as well. I think there's quite a big difference though this time in that the the comments after Wolves last year came after he'd been getting a lot of criticism at the start of the season. And then he came in in that game, scored very, very early on. And that was more uh, um, like a bit of a release for him, I think, of, yeah, I know I've not had a great start. Here's what I think I can do to um, to change that. Whereas this time round, it's come after playing... Like a, some really, really good games recently. You could argue that after the way last season finished, it's been a relatively slow start to the season, um, not helped by having an injury as well. But I think, like when he said he knows what he offers to the team, like I think that's quite a, a pointed difference to how he was talking about himself at, at this stage last season. And yeah, of course, as an attacking player, he could definitely score more goals. But equally... That's never been his game, has it? He's never been a, a big goal scorer. Even when he was the leading man at Villa, he wasn't. Um, but he wasn't hitting big, big numbers for goals. So I think, yeah, he could he could do more of that. I don't necessarily think he's he's going to live or die by it. I think his ball retention um, is so crucial to City and what they did last season. Maybe what he needs to add a bit more of is being able to beat a man out wide. And I think he he's offered so much of what started is like when he used to get to the byline and cut it back and it felt like he was never really taking responsibility for anything himself. That developed into something um, really tactically shrewd and astute where he was really benefiting the team with that kind of play. And he was sort of involved in everything and, every, and lots of things were running through him last season. And I wonder if maybe the, the next step that elevates him is adding a bit more of what Doku does in in just being able to beat a man a bit more. But that isn't to say that he doesn't do it or that he can't do it. I just wonder if now we're seeing the benefits of that in another player, um, maybe that's something that he can take a bit more into his own game. See, but see, For me, I don't see an issue with Grealish beating his man. To me, it's just a case because I think he just needs to improve his finishing. He doesn't seem to strike the ball cleanly in the majority of instances when he does get in the right positions he seems to snatch at it more often than not. Even even some of the goals that he has scored have gone in, you know, via deflections and things like that. Um, don't get me wrong; I think he scored one 
Uh, I think his first goal for City was in the Champions League. That was a, a screamer that went in the top corner, if I remember properly. Leipzig, I think, uh, yeah. Leipzig, yeah. But but generally speaking, I think, was it against Arsenal last year and did he get one against maybe Liverpool? I, I can't even properly think the goals that he scored. I know the Wolves one was a bit of a tap-in. But um, generally speaking, when he cuts inside and he does have the position to shoot, he seems to hit it more often than not like too far into his instep instep and sort of like half scuffs it and i think it's just a case that he probably needs to work on his finishing more than any other aspect of his game because i, I certainly I, I i don't feel that he can't not take on a man it's more a case that he's thinking about making the right decisions as you say richard but i think he has the ability to do it but i think his, his shooting definitely does need work I'm I'm always I'm interested what you think of this KC because I'm always wary of uh comparing comparing uh, Grealish and, and Doku because um it's like it, I, I I they're two different players and I don't think we should expect them to be yeah. the same sort of player and I, I I do worry that Grealish is is suffering a little bit in the comparisons because like if Grealish is coming into the into the team and Guardiola's saying do this this and this and he does exactly what Guardiola says he yeah. says he should do and then we on the outside go yeah but he's not doing not doing very exciting things is he he's getting criticism for doing exactly what he's been told to do and if Doku's being told he's, to do something different and we're all going well that's wonderful it, I like, don't think he's getting criticism I think the reason why we're talking about it the way that we just have done is because Grealish brought it up himself yeah I think I think if you ask the majority of city fans if we've got a game against you know, a Real Madrid or a Bayern Munich tomorrow, they'd start Foden and Grealish and Doku would be on the bench. Yeah. As, as, as good as Doku's start has. So I wouldn't say it's criticism. I think it's because Grealish has brought up his own improvement. I think that's the reason why we're talking about it. But then at, at the same time, are we not? Are we also not feeding into the narrative of well, Doku's an exciting player and Grealish is the boring control guy? When actually Grealish can be can add so much to the team that is is not just knowing when to pass it. If you know what I mean? Um. Yeah, I, I suppose. I just don't see anything wrong with what Grealish is particularly doing at the moment. So I, I, it's 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 hard to answer that question because I, I I certainly don't view it like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's let's look at another player then, Richard, as well, uh, because uh, it, we were all delighted that John Stones was uh, back in the team, and then as as quick as he arrives, he departs again because it's pretty grim to see him injured again. Um, how are you feeling about it all? Oh, absolutely gutted. I mean, there's like on the one hand, just. It's a big blow for the team because he offers so much that that role that he's made his own over um, well in this calendar year, I guess. Um, that is, you know, it's, it's sort of known as the John Stones role. That um, sort of midfield position that he occupies is so good. It offers, I think, it's, I think taking Pep's words, it just offers such a versatility that I don't think any other player offers in the same way when they take that position and doesn't fit it as well as John Stones does. Um, so it's really disappointing for the team because it it affects how we can play. Um, but it's also just really disappointing on a personal level. Like, find me a City fan that doesn't absolutely love John Stones. He's um, the, the self-declared man of the people. Um, <laughs> and is it's just a real shame that coming off the back of um, such a great season and... I suppose the, the season that really might define his career, like when when it's all said and done for him, he's been such a key player who unlocked 
like putting him in that position unlocked how City could finish the season. Yeah, John, and, and John Stones the played the John Stones role in the Champions League final and bossed it. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah. It's one not Yeah. It was. It was. And so it's just so disappointing that this season has started on just with those injuries and, and massively curtails what influence he might have. It's just, a, it's just a shame on a personal level. And I think really I feel that more than the team aspect because you always trust like, Tactically, Pep will sort something out, you would think. And if he doesn't, then we won't deserve to win the league. We've got the players to um, to find other ways to play. So I don't worry too much about that. It's just, you know, I'm interested to see how, how we go from here. But on a personal level, it's just gutting for him. Really, really gutting. Yeah, it feels like such a setback because of how long he's been out already, doesn't it, Casey? Yeah, definitely. And it's like even when Stones was going through that really, you know, uh, long patch out of the team. It's like I think you know he just didn't lose belief in him. He just he just has always seemed such a quality player, and it was just so um, fulfilling to watch as a fan last season just to see him you know meet and exceed those expectations of what I think we all knew we could become. So it is it is bitterly disappointing to see him out for such a long time. Yeah. Uh, final word for the first part of the showcase. He's going to go to uh, Phil Foden. Um, has this season gone under the radar a little bit, just how influential Foden can be for City? Yeah, I think he has a little bit, yeah. I think he's been superb. Um, I think the last time I was on, you were asking me about Foden, um, and I was saying how, how well I thought he'd started the season. Um, but but he'd been playing through the middle, I think, before those games. He's mm. he's He's gone back out to the wing now, and... And if anything, he's he's got even better. Has he got three in his last three now? It could be actually thinking about it. Um, but yeah, I think everyone just knows what what a superb player Foden is. Yeah, and Richard, um, I mean, the, the finish against Young Boys uh, was was pretty good in the end. And we've one thing I've I've thought for a while is that his finishing might need a little bit of an improvement. So we maybe seen signs of that as well. Oh, maybe. Um, I. I suppose I wouldn't necessarily see that as the type of goal that he hasn't scored before or hasn't shown himself capable of, of scoring. So I suppose it's really wanting to see the um, the consistency in his finishing rather than um, rather than the technique of it, because that was, I suppose, yeah, quite I, a... F- yeah, I don't think there's ever been an issue with him finishing f- coming in from the right, has there? It's, it's generally when he's through the middle that his finishing is sort of... Yeah. I'd I don't. Think, I, I don't think I'd have survived if that one in the Champions League final had gone in. Oh, oh God, that yeah. would have would have been <laughs> the, the, the goal to end our goals. That wouldn't it? That yeah. turn was ridiculous. It deserved a goal, but uh, well, let's not relive that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, it's just it's great mm-hmm. that you, you said let's not relive that one as if we got beat. We won that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it turned uh, out all right point. in the end. <laughs> yeah, good point. It's just yeah, it would have been a nice uh, a nice icing on the cake, wouldn't it? But um, yeah, he's he started the season brilliantly. I absolutely love watching him. I I think maybe more than any other player, like I I find myself really drawn to like even just like how he takes the ball when he receives it. Like there's there's just Quite something. Liquid, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's it. That's exactly it. It's um, and I also think there's always something a bit more aesthetically pleasing about a left-footed technical player. Um, I, I just he's an absolute dream player to watch. He's, he's got sort of everything going for him. So yeah, if he can add even more goals to his game, because it's not like he's you know, it's not like he never scores. He's got some pretty important goals to his record. Um, but yeah, if he can be more consistent with that, then 
then great, we'll we'll reap the rewards of that. But I, I think he's he's going about his business brilliantly this season. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite-only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Well, uh, sorry to uh, relive some bad moments for you, Richard, now, but we're going to go through some 6-1 wins that City have had in the years. Um, in the Premier League era, City have had one 8-0 win, two 7-0 wins and six 6-0 wins in their time. But when it comes to the most common big win scoreline, Saturday saw City's eighth 6-1 victory. Sadly, as you said before, Casey, you weren't on the show to give us... None, uh, none of them when I've been on the show. Yeah, your traditional... Charity bet <laughs> prediction. Uh, but to celebrate the latest 6-1 scoreline, Adam Carter is taking a look at each of the times it's happened previously. City's first 6-1 win in the Premier League came at Burnley in 2010. On this day, I was covering a game at Deepdale. It was Preston against Watford, which I believe ended 1-1. Um, and so that was a three o'clock kickoff. This was another Saturday evening game, wasn't it? So I was in the press conferences for that game and um, it was Darren Fletcher, who was Preston's manager at the time, comes in. And I just had like the BBC's live blog sort of refresh and see what City score was. And you know post-match press conferences don't last very long. Um, so it was nil-nil when he came in just at half five. After his press conference finished, I sort of refreshed the page. It was 3 nil. It's like, no, that's, that can't be right, that. And sort of had a, had a, had a good scroll, a good couple of refreshes. And no, actually, they have scored three goals in no time. That's Dom Farrell speaking on a Patreon show that will air later in the season. That 6-1 was picked as the hell choice by the Burnley fan on that show, Kevin Robinson. It's the worst match I've ever been to. I was really, really unwell. I actually missed kick-off and the first goal because I was being sick in the toilet cubicle, which probably was the highlight of the match. <laughs> he runs through just how bad Burnley's performance was. 3-0 after, what, like five, six, seven minutes, something like that. Some of the most absurd defending you've ever seen in your entire life. You had... Brian Jensen in goal, pretty much placing the, the ball at, um, at Tevez's feet. You've got Adebayo running 
genuinely must have been about 20 yards ahead of our defence. Pretty much half a pitch and then just slightly past the end. It was 5-0 at half-time and there was a slight worry that typical City was going to strike. The heavens opened and the game might have been abandoned. I ended up sort of um, finishing working at the game and I got into the Adelphi pub in Preston with the score at 6-0. So I got to the pub, didn't see any City goal, saw Fletcher's goal and yeah, spent 20 minutes sort of like worrying about is this going to get called off? Is this going to get called off? So yeah, it was it was a very it was a weirdly anxious way to take in a six-one victory. I've got to say there was anxiety at the beginning of the day for City's next six-one win, but certainly not by the end of it. This one needs no introduction. You can't believe that scoreline if you look at the first thirty minutes of the game. We were outstanding, dominated the game. It was a bad day. There's no doubt about that. It's um, our worst ever day. But the, the thing, the most thing that concerns me most was the goals. For and against now, it was 10 goals of difference today. That was a big blow for us because you never know goal difference may count. That's Sir Alex Ferguson speaking to Sky Sports after the demolition derby at Old Trafford in October 2011. Famously, goal difference would count at the end of that season, even if Roberto Mancini played down the size of the win when speaking to City TV. I think that we played very well because if you want to beat United, you should play very well. But uh, it's not important 6-1. It's important that we, we took three points in Old Trafford. For this, I'm happy for our supporters because after many years, they deserve to, to beat United their way. Gail Clichy and Joe Hart were impressed too, but also echoed the manager's thoughts. This game is one game. For sure, we have to enjoy it because not every day a team will come here at Old Trafford and, and won 6-1. So we have to enjoy it, but we have to uh, to be focused now because one game is only one game and uh, we have to start again on, uh, in a few days. No, nah, that, that's ridiculous what's just happened out there. And uh, But like the manager said, I know it sounds boring, but you don't get any more points for winning by five goals. You know, you have to, you have to Wolves is massive for us now, both in the Carling Cup and at home. That game, plus the next 6-1 win away at Norwich, helped City win the title on goal difference that season. Carlos Tevez scored his first hat-trick after his return from exile. He spoke to City TV. His interview is translated. Yes, I am happy that I played very well, but most important is I really want to thank all my colleagues from the support they give it to me since I arrived. It wasn't easier to start training and playing, but they give me a real big support and also the technical staff has been very good to me and I really appreciate the help of everybody. After that, there wasn't another 6-1 win for more than three years. City beat Newcastle at the Etihad in October 2015 and Sergio Aguero scored five. Manager Manuel Pellegrini spoke to the BBC. Very happy because I think that was a reaction of the team that normally wants to play in this style. We are a team that we are always trying to score the most amount of goal. We see performance of important players today as Kuhn, as David Silva, as Kevin De Bruyne in the second half, in, a, in their very high performance. So, very happy because um, me as, as, as a manager, I like to see teams play in this way. I am a fan of the fans, so I think that for the fans it's very uh, important to see playing this way, scoring, and have and enjoying the whole game. It was nearly three more years until City won 6-1 again. Although, under new manager Pep Guardiola, they did rack up some other big scores in the meantime. Aguero got another hat-trick as City beat Huddersfield in August 2018. Here's what Guardiola thought of his start to that season. I saw him from the first second, for the first minute. Wow. And it's not just the score of goals. The spaces, he create chances, move, assists, passes, how fought, he never stopped. And when that's happened, Sergio is um, one of the best, 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 best strikers in the world. 
without a doubt. So one could say, so chapeau. So it's, it's perfect. Just 11 weeks later, City won 6-1 again. This time beating Southampton at the Etihad. Guardiola actually wanted more after the game. I would say that we were lucky to score the full goal in the last minute of the first half. Because I had the feeling the game was not over with 3-1. Because we play with ball so good, but without the ball we concede a lot. But of course I'm so satisfied for the result, for the performance, but the, the teams show me today, send me some signals that are still in some positions, in some actions, we are not stable enough. Aguero was in the headlines the next time City won 6-1 in the Premier League too. It was at Villa Park in January 2020 where he broke Alan Shearer's hat-trick record. He spoke to City TV afterwards. I'm very, very happy because I break two records. Uh, so I want to say thanks to my teammates because they helped me. And It's not easy to, to score uh, 12 hat-tricks in Premier League because we know Premier League is so difficult. So I'm very proud because... Uh, uh, nah, that level is, 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 is difficult, uh, so I'm very happy for the moment. And that was City's last 6-1 win until they beat Bournemouth last Saturday. Happening eight times in the Premier League, it's City's favourite big win scoreline. So many of them have been matches that live long in the memory too. Hi, this is David Bernstein and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was Adam Carter looking back at uh, previous 6-1 wins. Uh, either of you two got, uh, I mean, United game aside, uh, got a favourite 6-1 from the others? Because uh, I always think of that Norwich game uh, when, when Aguero and Tevez had a goal of month competition on their own they were yeah that that's the, the the other standout one for me absolutely fantastic um and obviously i suppose helped made better by the fact of when in the season it occurred and, and how that season finished um but that was just outstanding yeah i Case- do remember i do remember the villa one though you were te- you were texting me throughout it mooney <laughs> yeah you were going this is going to be 6-1 <laughs> oh yeah because you'd not been on the show that week as well <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Aguero uh, scored five against Newcastle. KC. Oh, that that was a great game. Yeah, I I watched that with a uh, Geordie fan next to me in in the city, and um, uh, that was that was very 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 enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, let's uh, let's talk now about the uh, game coming this weekend. City go to Stamford Bridge, and uh, Richard, I think Chelsea are a bit of a hard one to read this season. So, how are you feeling about the game? I think. I've definitely got some nerves about it because I suppose it's like any team that's had a good period of success. They sort of carry, even in the most ridiculous moments, it always still feels like a big game and they still carry, I suppose, a certain aura that going to Stamford Bridge feels like it should be difficult. I think when I think of it logically, their home record in this calendar year is pretty pathetic. I mean, there was that stat recently, wasn't there, that Thomas Frank had more wins at Stamford Bridge than the last was it the last two Chelsea managers put together, <laughs> and Brent, Brentford have won more games at Stamford Bridge in this calendar year than than Chelsea had, or in the last seven months. Sorry, not calendar year, the last seven months. Like little stats like that remind you that they are an absolute basket case, and they're just going through the most ludicrous period um, and, and are atrociously run. But the fact remains that they do have good players and they have a good manager. 
And I think there's been some green shoots there in some of their performances. Um, the fact that they went 2-0 up against Arsenal should be um, should be something that, not that you're ever in danger of City not taking an opponent seriously, but that is something that City will sort of sit up and take notice of. I was just, just thinking, uh, to, to going 2-0 up against Arsenal is the uh, cause for uh, concern, but then the cause for optimism is that they drew that game 2-2. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the City I, should win, shouldn't they? I was gonna say I was gonna say the only generally good performances this season they have saved for the bigger teams. Like they've they've drawn with Liverpool, drawn with Arsenal, and they beat they beat Spurs in a great game the other night, didn't they? Like they have looked absolutely all over the place. But they do tend to step up and and play their best football when they're against the bigger sides. So that should be a concern, I suppose. Yeah. Um, obviously, we talked before about uh, there being no John Stones. Um, Casey, you're expecting that he just goes back to what he did at the start of the season, pushes Walker higher up and um, and kind of gets another midfielder in the centre. Or do you think kind of maybe one of Ake or Akanji could, Akanji I, I think, could, could do the stepping in role? I think it'll be Akanji stepping into the, the Stones role. Um I don't because th- I think I've just I got a text just before we started recording um, from from Nico in the food bank saying apparently uh, Phillips is on his way to Juventus or something. Um, so I certainly don't that that would certainly signal that another midfielder coming in won't won't be the solution. Because um, to be honest with you, I wasn't even thinking Phillips. I was thinking Kovacic uh, or Nunes. <laughs> or yeah, well, I don't. I know, obviously, we, we batted him the other night, but I think um, I don't think Nunes played particularly well the other night, so I, I can't see him playing on Sunday. Um, I definitely think it would be a Kanji trying to to do the the Stones role. Yeah, how do you feel about that? Because um, it's had mixed results so far this season. I thought Ake was pretty good against Young Boys, but again, as you said at the start of the show, maybe not the biggest test for him. Yeah, like I, th- I, th- I think the what will what goes against Aki doing it is the fact that he's he'll be on the left rather than the right that that Stones would do, and I think that would mess the balance of the team up a bit too much if you're playing Guardiola at left back. Um, so I, I I I think if he does go for it, I think it'll be a Kanji. A Kanji's not as good as Stones, um, but he is he's a capable replacement to to do that. I think. We were winning games at the start of the season, so it might be that like we had. Was it the, did we win the first six before Wolves happened? Yeah. So I think on pure results, there's a lot to be said for reverting to what we did at the start of the season. Sort of plus finding, you know, plus always having the added threat of um, of being able to call on Doku, whether that's starting or not. Um, but you know, I guess working out the. I suppose, I suppose a relatively conservative start and, and feeling the game out, like there's maybe something to be said for that. But I suppose like Nunes and Kovacic also offer, uh, and this is really where I might, I might just start to embarrass myself tactically, but they also offer an opportunity to have those bodies in the middle who can carry the ball forward. Um, it, that's never going to be a direct replacement for what Stones does, but they are options of players who can sit deep and and does, keep the game Kovacic, ticking over, I think. Does Kovacic potentially losing his head like he did against Arsenal considering it's Chelsea? Does that is, is that a worry for you? Um I would like to think that the fact that he then didn't I don't think he started a few games after that one. Yeah. Um I would like to think that maybe that's something where privately he's been given a proper dressing down and 
um, and wouldn't do that again. And I think things like that are always hard to call whether that's like a, a pattern of behaviour. Like at the moment, we've only seen it once from him and it was absolutely stupid. But I suppose it's at the moment, it's one time that he's done it and shouldn't necessarily be held against him going forward. Now it's in the past and he's back starting games again. Um, but I suppose that that really comes down to what does Pep see in his temperament and yeah, maybe maybe that's a way to bed that message in further. Like you can't start this game until you prove in in so-called lesser games that you keep your head. Yeah, but then you know, Rodri Rodri lost his head in a game, and, and that cost us for a few games going forward. But you wouldn't like it was a one-time thing, wasn't it? Um, yeah. You wouldn't whack it, him on the bench for a bit just to prove your point, would you? No. So I think Kovacic is. Yeah, we're, but, we're probably but, firing but, the phone. Rodri is the best player in the world, so that's. Well, this but is, in terms uh, of fair treatment of players, though, on a, on on establishing their temperament, and, and, and he's 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 got he's got money in the bank, hasn't it, when it comes to his temperament, Rodri? Yeah. Whereas Kovacic, he majorly lost his head. Like I, I would still start him at the weekend. Don't get me wrong. I'm just playing devil's advocate. He majorly lost his head against Arsenal and should have probably, you know, could have been sent off twice in the same game. And then the fact that it's Chelsea in a you know Sunday evening. Uh, under the lights game um, against his old club, you know, that, I'm sure that will come into Pep's thinking. Yeah, I'm. I'm also wondering with uh, Rodri if we are uh, just greatly overlooking the idea that you just just play a normal back four, Rodri, and a normal front three, and just kind of attack the game as you might have done a couple of years ago. None of this, may, like Stones, isn't there to step into the midfield, so just don't have anybody do it. And you know, you don't need to necessarily be putting Walker higher up to get more width on this side. We just yet let Foden and Grealish do the width. I, you know, maybe maybe that's the answer. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think definitely we can be guilty of thinking that position is now so well established as part of how City play that we need somebody to do it when actually the reason that position is so successful is because of the quality of the player doing it um, and if you don't have another player who can do it as well as John Stones then Just maybe don't do you it. don't yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I think that's a fair shout yeah, uh, let's get some insight on now onto uh, this weekend's opponent. I've been speaking to the Athletics Chelsea correspondent Liam Toomey to find out what to expect at Stamford Bridge. They're the strangest team in the Premier League. This season is not like last season, even though the league position is similar. Last year, all of the advanced numbers kind of painted Chelsea as what they were, which was a painfully mediocre, albeit expensively assembled football team. This year, the, the the difficulty they've they've had in kind of evaluating their own or I- evaluating where they are as a team is that a lot of the advanced metrics say they're doing really well. Um, so I, I wrote this ahead of the Tottenham game that they their their xG was higher than Tottenham's. Their their xG conceded was was lower. Um, there were other numbers that you know that suggested. That, they are one of the better teams in the league. But the metrics that actually matter, <laughs> the league table and the points tally, and were basically saying that the season was on the verge of flatlining if they didn't get a big result soon. Now, of course, they did get a big result against Tottenham in very strange circumstances, with, ironically, one of their worst performances of the season. They are a very young team that make mistakes but you you can see what Pochettino is trying to do and I do think they would be 
even further along right now if they hadn't had so many injuries. The key one has been Christopher Nkunku. He hasn't played a minute yet and it's completely changed what Chelsea are in attack. And I think it's it's been the single biggest contributing factor to the continuation of them not making the most of the chances they create. Because I think they are, in general, they are playing better right up to the opposition box than certainly a lot better than they were last season under under Potter and then Lampard. Yeah, I mean, I, I think back to Guardiola's first season at City and the number of press conferences I sat in where uh, the answer to pretty much every question was, we need to improve in both boxes. It feels like the same is, is, is true of Chelsea at the moment. Is that is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they're, they're not ruthless enough. And that's been a theme of Chelsea for two or three years, which is pretty remarkable when you consider the player turnover and coach turnover in that time. It almost seems to have been baked into the DNA of the club. <laughs> um, it's quite hard to to put your finger on exactly what the problem is. But I think just judging this group of players, they have a young group. You look, for example, at someone like Nicholas Jackson, who I think now, after that Tottenham game, his record is five goals in 10 games. Perfectly respectable for a young striker entering into a new league and a new team. But he's got such a small body of work at this level of football that for all his talent, it's a learning curve. And I think that's the case for a few of these players, individually and collectively. And and so they're not they they haven't been ruthless enough. They particularly struggle to break down low blocks and the rest of the Premier League knows this. <laughs> so they have faced a lot of them. I, I, I did theorise during the Tottenham game that they'd face so many low blocks that their minds were just frazzled when Tottenham decided to defend on the halfway line with with nine men. Like we're going to give you the opposite problem, and they just had no idea how to solve it. But and, and then at, at the back, I think generally they have been good defensively. Pochettino's prioritised trying to keep that unit as consistent as possible. Whenever they've all been fit, it's been Silver and Dizassi as the centre back pairing. Levi Colwell at left back. Where he's done okay, there have been a few times, not not least uh, Kulisevsky's opening goal in that Spurs game, where he looks like a centre-back at left-back. But largely, he's done well in that role. And the right-back spot's only really changed because Reese James hasn't been able to stay fit and Malo Gusto got suspended. But they've been okay. They're, they're, they're usually, in the games that they've lost at home, there have only really been one or two moments that they've given to the opposition and the opposition have been incredibly clinical <laughs> in those in those moments and they've they've paid a high price and there's also been you know with Robert Sanchez behind them again the numbers suggest he's he's broadly been pretty good but Chelsea fans are very unconvinced about him he he arrived having lost his place at Brighton which didn't exactly g everyone up for him being this amazing Kepper replacement and there are still one or two moments in every game where you know, his distribution looks shaky. His decision-making looks shaky. And Chelsea fans are definitely anxious about him. But broadly, they that Chelsea have defended well. The midfield is probably the strongest part of the team. And they do create chances, but they just don't take enough of them. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about another player that joined in the summer in, in Cole Palmer because... I, when when he left City, I know there was a lot of City fans disappointed that uh, he wasn't going to kind of carry on his progression at City. Um, but ultimately, you know, there's there wasn't really much room for him in the team that won a treble last season. The offer of forty million is is ultimately too good to turn down for a player of uh, of the minutes he played. Um, and he's made a real impact at Chelsea so far. It seems from the outside. What's he been like this season? He's been really good. 
I think there was a measure of excitement at Chelsea based on what what they'd seen of Cole Palmer um, for England under-21s. And of course, that in the outings that he did get for City, he did tend to look good. So I think Chelsea thought they were getting a good player. The, the price they paid was, I think, a premium based on his experience level at that time. But it was a projection on what they believed the talent of the player to be. And I... I do I do think Joe Shields had a big part to play in that because he saw Cole Palmer up close for a long time yeah. at City. The surprising thing is that virtually since he started coming on as a substitute, he looks like he's been playing in this team for years and he, he provides something that none of the other attackers have provided, which is a, a, an element of creativity in terms of seeing different passing angles. I've said this a couple of times this week about, about Palmer. He he does a lot of peppy things. You can see he's had an excellent football education at City and he's brought those things to Chelsea immediately where he, he makes good decisions with the ball at his feet. He takes up really intelligent positions to receive the ball. He's got a great understanding of space and, and where to maximise his value when when his team are in possession. He does find those incisive passes that can change a game. He knows when to slow the game down and, you know, pauser. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and all that. Like he, he's definitely he's definitely got a bit of that to him. He's good at changing speeds and tempos, and he's also, I think, something that always makes it easier for for a manager to trust you. He's a really smart presser, and that that to me is another aspect of the Guardiola education. Like he, he not only does he work really really hard off the ball, and and he's really intense, but he's really smart in terms of cutting off passing angles and like faking certain ways and putting doubt in opponents' minds. I mean, I think he's been passed the ball by two different goalkeepers already while leading the Chelsea press. And I don't think that's just them being rubbish. I think it's he he's particularly good at that sort of thing. So he's added a lot of value. But perhaps the most impressive thing about him of all has been the way he's carried himself since he got to Chelsea. He's clearly a very confident guy. That was his reputation at City as well. He's already carrying himself like a senior man <laughs> in the squad. You know, you can see that from the fact that he's already taking penalties and and taking them nervously in big moments and that he's trusted to do that by Pochettino and the squad. And the way he spoke about Nicholas Jackson after the Spurs game in the interview they did together as well, where he's like, yeah, you know, he, he, he's had a tough start, no hiding from that, but he's just he's just got to work harder. <laughs> And it was just quite a remarkable thing to hear, you know, a guy in his early 20s who's been at the club five minutes talking like that about a guy who's pretty much the same age and stature as him. But I think Chelsea fans have warmed to him immediately, primarily because they can see the talent. And he he does seem to have an an endearing, strong personality to go with it. Yeah, um, it's uh, it will be interesting to see how he develops because I mean ultimately um, he's he's getting more time at, at Chelsea than he would have got at City this season, um, and it's it, it seems like it's been a good move for everybody so far. Um, in terms of you've you've mentioned kind of a few changes that Pochettino has made from from last season. Um, how kind of how long do you foresee it taking for Chelsea to kind of get back to to where they were pre? kind of the the recent blip that's been um that was the that was last season it it feels like like there's there's maybe more long-term planning now than there ever has been at Chelsea or certainly has been for a while well I think the ownership would say that the plan that they're following has been in place for the last two windows now certainly in terms of recruitment 
with all of these players under the age of 23 committing big transfer fees for what they see as elite talent with the potential to to really grow in value in future years on these hyper long contracts and then Pochettino was 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 brought in to be the new architect after the first project coach Potter was was a big mistake and I I do think I thought then and I think now that Pochettino is a very smart choice for this particular type of job because it is such a young squad his track record specifically is is of working well with younger talent developing it and and building an identity from from younger teams and and there have been signs immediately there were signs in pre-season that he was doing that I think the problem that Pochettino's had has primarily been the injuries. He's had to reimagine what this team is, particularly in the attacking half of the pitch. And then in midfield, you had some of the signings, notably Moises Caicedo, arrived a bit late and missed all of pre-season. So that he's been bedding players in and he's also been without key ones. And the, so that la- last year felt like a perfect storm of the owners trying to change everything at once and just ending up with a massive mess on the pitch essentially it doesn't feel like a mess now it feels like they're getting done on the margins in some of these games but honestly I can I can probably list on a couple of fingers the number of bad performances I've seen from Chelsea this year that is a completely different story to last season last season I was struggling to remember a good one or a convincing (laughs) one and so I think they, they they do feel like they're in a different place but the mood has been a bit fraught just because that feeling is has not been reflected in the Premier League table at all. Um, so it was clear they, they needed to start getting results. And results had improved prior to that Brentford defeat. And they are going to continue to have defeats like that dotted through the season because they're a young team and they have the flaws that they have. But they do seem to be on an upward trajectory. The defining question of the season now is are they already in too much of a hole points-wise to get back to top five or top four? And if they don't make top four or five, what what is the kind of financial runway <laughs> for this project? You know, the, the owners have invested so much. The patience is, it has been there with Pochettino, but, you know, if, if, if they finish mid-table this season, I think no one can know what the ramifications will be at the club given all that they've spent. Yeah, and of course, um, I mean, there's been a few a few um, tough teams arrive at, at Stamford Bridge already this season. Uh, a draw with Liverpool, a draw with um, with Arsenal, City a City, and you know they they play how they are going to play, and they we know the the threats that they have. Um, where are Chelsea weakest at the moment? Where do you think Guardiola and his team will be looking to to really attack Chelsea right now? I I think it's probably um, in the fullback positions. Colwell's largely done a decent job there, but he is a bit of a fish out of water as a left back. And if you have really incisive wingers who are very, very skilled committing him 1v1, you can you can get joy there. You know, Chelsea's other options in that position with Ben Chilwell out aren't great either. Mark Kukurea, he, he had a very good game against Bukayo Saka, but he's had three or four games where he's been just an absolute liability this season already so I'd, I'd be surprised really if he if he features and then at right back you know Reese James when he's fit is probably Chelsea's most valuable player but he's not fully fit yet it was notable that the moment they went 2-1 up against Tottenham Pochettino took him off because they are trying to wrap him in, in cotton wool and manage him as carefully as possible because they know they need him for games like this um so if if he's able to be Reese James at full power, then that makes a huge difference to Chelsea at both ends of the pitch. But 
you know, he could, he could be up against Jeremy Doku, <laughs> Jack Grealish, who, whoever it is that he ends up faced up with on that on that side. That's one of the biggest challenges you're going to get all season. So um, I also say those areas because I know how how strong City are in those areas. They're so good with those underlapping runs and you know s- switching positions and pulling you pulling you out of shape. So that that's a big test for Chelsea. And finally, um, uh, we got the charity back coming up. How do you see this game going? Uh, and what would your score prediction be? I mean, my head says City will win just because I think they are by some distance at this point in time, the, the the class of the Premier League. The one thing that gives me pause is that Chelsea's better performances this season with Spurs standing alone as the crazy game it was, were at home against Liverpool and against Arsenal where they, they actually outplayed both for long spells. I think I'm going to go for a City win, but I think it could be relatively close. So I'm going to say 2-1 City. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Liam Toomey talking to me about uh, this weekend's game. Um, Casey, are you thinking uh, that you know Palmer goal against the club he's just left soon come? Yeah, well, to be honest with you, he's looked like their best player since he signed for him, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, like, I, I don't know whether you two watched the Spurs game the other the other day. He seems to be the only one with any sort of level intel- a level of intelligence on the Chelsea team. The rest of them just all behave like idiots. Um, so, it, it, obviously, it would be typical, wouldn't it, that he, he scores against us, um, considering we let him... I, I didn't want to let him go, because um, I, I rate him really, really highly. But I just can't see anything but us beating him at the weekend. Oh, there we go. Uh, fingers crossed that for that one. Uh, we know what your score is going to be a bit later on, so <laughs> I hope you're right on uh, a couple of counts there. Um, Richard Liam said that he thinks Chelsea are vulnerable at fullback. Uh, given what we said about Doku and Grealish earlier, um, it kind of feels like either of them should be pretty good for this game. Like, could could, could you just stick both of them in there? Let let kind of Foden or Bernardo or Alvarez do do the work in the middle, and let Doku and Grealish run right in the wings. I think he could. Um, I'm not sure that's what he will do. I think it will. I think Doku not having started midweek is maybe something in his favour um, in terms of getting a starting place. Not because Grealish can't do um, those minutes or those back-to-back games, but purely just because we know that one of the things Pepper said is working on with Doku, or that he's trying to establish is how he handles that um, that run of games. Um, and, and having you know three games a week, so maybe leaving him out of the midweek game is a bit of a sign that he's thinking of him for Chelsea. Um, I, I suppose this just goes back to the earlier conversation. I suppose it, you know you would expect it to be Grealish for that more controlling element and being able to take the pace out of the game if necessary, which isn't necessarily what um, what Doku would be there for. If Pep has identified that they are especially vulnerable at fullback, then 
I suppose Doku does make sense because you've got a chance to really, really rattle the confidence early and just get him running at them, get fullbacks on a booking, that kind of thing. Obviously, Grealish um, gets plenty of fouls, but maybe Doku is a more obvious example to um, to get them panicking. And if you've got a fullback on a booking, then it's you know he's a massive headache for them from there. So I'd if if that is something that Pep has seen, which of course if that is a weakness, Pep will have seen it. Then I'd probably think he will start with Doku, but. He could start with both. Grealish is, is in a, a great bit of form. So, um, massive fence sitting answer. But if, I had fence, to call, if I had to call it, I'd say you'll start Doku. Yeah. Uh, right, well, let's get some predictions on the board. We've now raised £400 on the charity bet for this season. Dan Burke gave us a correct prediction for the game against Young Boys. The winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They help the Trussell Trust in fighting poverty in Manchester. William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles and just the Chelsea game before the international break. Uh, we heard that Liam has gone for a 2-1 City win. That's 8-1 to and £80 if he's right. We'll get yours in a second, Casey, because we know where you're going. Uh, Richard, what are you having? I'm going to go 3 1 to City. 3 1 City is 14 to 1 and 140 pounds. Uh, Casey, are you ready for what your 6 1 is? <laughs> uh, go on, how much is it? It's uh, 150 to 1. So uh, 1,500 pounds if you're right. So I am crossing everything that you are. Coming in, boys. Coming in. <laughs> Lightning will strike twice. Yeah, they've never had back to back Premier League 6 1 wins. So we've, uh, that'd be a nice place to start, wouldn't it? Um, Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for information on gambling responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. We'll squeeze in a quick listener question now to finish uh, on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast, or you can email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com, if you want to get yours in for future episodes. Uh, Jordan on the emails says, is it just me that finds Arteta getting more and more cringy as his time as Arsenal manager goes on? His rant about VAR after the Newcastle game was ridiculous, and you can see the difference in when Guardiola is annoyed by things and when other managers are annoyed by things because Guardiola will always acknowledge our own failings even if he's unhappy about decisions or things out of his control but do you think that has a negative effect on us because referees will be treading on eggshells around Arsenal now or teams like Liverpool when Klopp does the same because Guardiola isn't so direct we don't get the same beneficial treatments after a bad decision KC what do you think uh, I, I I think the beneficial treatment or whatever is I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that um, I think the way that Pep's handled himself around uh, talking about referees, etc. I think generally we have gotten more favourable decisions due to his behaviour. I think if we were talking a couple of years ago, we were getting you know awful decisions left, right, and centre. Um, and I think now we're getting more of the rub of the green. Um, I'm not too concerned about Arteta being a bollocks, to be honest with you. <laughs> Like, uh, he played a long time under Wenger. Uh, Wenger was a great manager, but he was an absolute whinge bag, wasn't he? Yeah. So it's not, it's not too surprising that that's the way that that club behaves and Arteta behaves. Um, they've they've not won anything. Well, they've not won the Premier League for so long. I think it's just got in the heads way too much, and they yeah, they just cry over. You know, I, I think the goal probably should have been disallowed. But I think if to release a statement was just very childish and petty, um, and I think they'll end up just stewing over it longer than they should have done, rather than just dusting themselves off and moving on. I think it will harm them more long term, rather than uh, benefiting them um, if they carry on with that sort of nonsense. 
I mean, it, there's also this. I mean, you hear Guardiola say all the time, Richard. Uh, yeah, we won it, and we had no help. Instead of just moaning about kind of like when Rashford should have been flagged offside, sort of thing. Um, what What do you think about it all? I mean, I think Pep um, Pep has his ways of expressing what he thinks about refereeing decisions. He's not, um, you know, he, he was never shy in saying his opinions about that Spanish ref, was he, that's, that's, we've been on the wrong end of some oh, of his decisions yeah. in the we, past. We, we know him from Spain. Yeah. Um, I think he was more explicit than than that as well in some of his comments. So I think Pep has... Like with Pep, it's the passive-aggressive thing, isn't it, when he criticises refs. I think more to the point, he is... He always takes the time to congratulate opponents. I don't think with Pep what you ever get is explicitly putting the result down to a referee's decision, I think is the key difference. Um, I, I do think he is maybe just different in the way he expresses his dissatisfaction sometimes. I think I, I don't really have a concern about City getting unfavourable decisions. I think we've certainly had some, but I think you can also uh, point to times when we've had some very favourable decisions um, even if they're just kind of letter of the law, but controversial type decisions like the Ake goal against Fulham this season um, was allowed to stand when most people would recognise that as an offside goal. It's just stuff like that. Like I, I think it's probably fairly well balanced for City and I'm I'm pretty fine with that. Um, I think just on the Arteta point, I, um, I do agree that his approach is cringeworthy. I think he embarrassed himself last week. And I think my problem with that is not that managers can do that in the heat at the moment. It's that um, I don't think there will be any contrition for it. And it being backed up by that ludicrous statement that Arsenal put out is um, is evidence of that. It's hard to know what they were trying to achieve. Like what's the, without being like too high-minded about it, what's the strategic decision in the comms department and the media department that's, that's allowed that to come out. I think it's, it's bizarre stuff. Um, they had a point. The goal could have been disallowed for the foul. It wasn't as contentious as um, as they wanted to to make it out. And yeah, I do think Arteta's showing more and more of that stuff in his, um, in his character. Um, it's not great for the game. There's a load of um, conversation around VAR at the moment that is um, necessary, but not always delivered in a helpful way. It's not helpful to have officials uh, spoken about in the way that Arteta does. Um, so, yeah, that's my, my thoughts on Arteta. But strictly related to City, I I don't really have much of an opinion at the moment. It's I think we're just sort of okay with we get some decisions, we don't get some, and I think perhaps generally decent about it. Yeah, well, uh, just off the back of all this as well, uh, we've had Chris Higginbottom write his own letter to uh, PGMOL to uh, complain about some historic decisions on City's behalf. Uh, So let's hear what he's had to say. Dear PG Mob, and yes, I'll be sticking to Mob because, and I want to make this perfectly clear, I see you with your name change. You may have taken Mob from the name and replaced it with Mol, but that's fooling nobody. And I don't care if it was 20 odd years ago either, because the Mob element, i.e. organised crime syndicate, is clearly still present, hence the need for a strongly worded letter of complaint. This letter is, of course, being written with the extremely dignified and dead grown up club statement recently issued by Arsenal, still fresh in the memory. That was made after they somehow found themselves on the wrong end of a controversial VAR decision and losing a football match despite being very brilliant and having one shot on target. 
So I just want to say that on the back of that, I would fully support our manager in any jaw-clenchingly, bum-crampingly cringe statements, however reactionary they might be, in the wake of any perceived wrongdoing from this point on. Fact is, though, Pep hasn't actually come out with any such Mardi tantrum. Too classy, you see. But if he did, I'd have to back him to the absolute hilt rather than maintain some kind of dignified silence that would signify perhaps keeping control of my own head. Anyway, mob to business. As well as some reasonable demands, we've got some burning issues to discuss. I say discuss, it's really just me banging on a bit about them. And I say burning, I mean somehow still smouldering might be more accurate a term as they are kind of just faintly glowing in the dusty recesses of my mind. They sit alongside such non-related football gems as, why didn't I say yes that time when I was offered a place on a yachting crew in Paxos in my early 20s with a promise of adventure on the high seas and schmoozing exotic women in the glamour ports of Europe? Although, to be fair, the captain had really offended a recently widowed butterfly collector I'd made friends with and I was on holiday with my girlfriend at the time, which probably will have influenced my decision, but still, no refs involved. Or that daft decision I made on a Cub Scout hiking trip when I turned the light out to mount a surprise attack on a lad who'd nicked my bunk, only to run headfirst into a peg, which split my head open and basically ruined the trip for me. But anyway, I digress from the point somewhat. Not least a digression, as these regrets are of my own making rather than the fault of some extremely suspicious refereeing decisions, such as the exhibits that I'm about to put before you. So, buckle up, mobsters, while I attempt to get back on track and veer sharply away from self-indulgent nonsense, back towards seemingly unfathomable bias for which we should perhaps in the current climate be attempting to claim some recompense. Now, I was going to start with an amateur game that I was playing in about 20 years ago for Kelta Parswood against MUTV, a match which we were set to win, being 3-1 up with only a couple of minutes to go, only for the ref, United fan, who'd turned up over 15 minutes after kickoff because his bike pedal had fallen off en route to let play continue for nearly 20 minutes after the 90. During the unscheduled overtime, the United lot kicked seven shades of shite out of us, gradually reducing our team to a hobbling collective mess which allowed them to claw their way back into the game and eventually win 4-3. This ref had evidently started his 90-minute timer when he took charge, failing to take into account that the game had already been taking place for 15 minutes or so when he got there. So, yeah, I was going to start with that, but that would be more self-indulgent nonsense and I don't want to appear too bitter or personally hard done to by refs myself. So, rather than dwell there... Let's not overdo it and concentrate professionally and calmly on the injustice inflicted by City by the hands of these maniacal conspiratorial authority figures who continue to dance on the grave of justice and bear their arse cheeks in the face of common sense. Exhibit one. No discourse on footballing injustice can be had without reference to the frankly disgusting travesty that occurred at Old Trafford in 1996, an FA Cup time which City had the temerity to take the lead through a delightful Rosler chip. I was in attendance. It was a great moment. City were all set for a dramatic win until the ref decided he'd seen something worthy of a penalty, something literally nobody in the ground had managed to spot. Famously, this included Roy Keane, who started to berate the ref when he heard the whistle, assuming that something must have been given the other way. 
before unconvincingly trying to style out his protest into a round of applause. I must have watched the replay of this like a hundred times and I remain utterly baffled as to what the man with the whistle saw that day. Ordinarily, I'd demand that Old Trafford be knocked down in a fair token of appeasement, but it's nearly doing that by itself at the moment. And to be quite honest, it's quite funny to watch. So I guess a public apology for the hurt caused would suffice on this occasion. Oh, and perhaps the public egging of the ref, if you wouldn't mind. Sometime later, in 1998, City were again on the receiving end of some outrageous decision-making after Andy Morrison received his second yellow card for licking Stan Collymore. At best, this deserved a pat on the back for trying to foster some small degree of affection in what can be an overly aggressive game, or, in a worst-case scenario, perhaps he should have received a standard tetanus jab. But no, this is City. Off he went. Please ban Collymore from, I don't know, public life. Maybe remove his tongue, do us all a favour. The following year, we have the curious case of Kevin Horlock. On the one hand, we try to do our bit against aggressive reactions by reacting with a tongue. And then on the other hand, we soon fall foul of being deemed too aggressive again, with Horlock receiving a straight red for the way he was bloody walking. You, sir, have the loping gait of someone with criminal intent. Off you pop for an early bath. I mean, you what? That ref should be sterilised and fired into space, if you wouldn't mind. If only it had ended there. Yes, reader, just like this letter, I hear you cry. But regrettably, the mound of random bizarros has continued to pile up as the years have ticked by. I now ask you to cast your minds back to February 2001 and the drab, smog-shrouded hellscape that is Middlesbrough. Centre stage and centre midfield that day was Danny Tiato, a one-man ray of Aussie sunshine and a battling spirit who scored for City on that day one of the most wonderful yet inexplicably cancelled goals that anyone will ever see. Having received the ball deep in his own half and run about 100 yards to enter the area and ghost past two defenders, Tiato confidently smashed the ball past the keeper just inside the far post. Terrific run, clean finish and nobody got anywhere near or indeed tried to get near it, such as the sure placement and its certainty as a valid goal. Darren Huckabee, a mere afterthought in the whole process, was drifting towards the far periphery of the area as the ball was struck and was somehow deemed offside and interfering with play, despite bearing zero influence on anything to do with the goal. As such, may I politely request that we are repaid the millions of pounds lost due to our relegation that season, which two dropped points in this game undoubtedly contributed to. Oh, and see to it that the town of Middlesbrough is cancelled forever. The next example is something of defiled peach, bagged by record goalscorer Richard Dunn away at West Brom. The more discerning fact-checkers among you may be aware that Dunny's record haul is actually for own goals scored. Would have been nice if perhaps some of those had been cancelled on a whim, but no, obviously that would never happen. The goal in question was one for the purists, a sweetly struck rasper of a direct free kick a surface-to-air missile that passed through a crowded wall with zero deviation, such as its ferocity, and it was still rising as it threatened to break the roof of the net, sending the City fans behind that goal into instant rapture. But it was short-lived. If only zero deviation could be applied to Graham, the thing from Tring, Paul, and what followed. He decided to ensure he was centre stage and doling out misery to those in need of joy. 
Prior to the strike, he'd already moved away from his pernickety wall meddling and made motion to suggest that the kick was allowed to be taken. So much so that he put his whistle to his lips in good time before the ball was struck, only to then claim he hadn't blown it at all before the goal was scored. If, for some reason, this was true, why? He went to blow, but stopped when he saw we were about to score. Because we hadn't obsequiously begged for his permission, let's not forget, this is a man who publicly struggled and failed to accurately count to two during a game in the World Cup finals. The fact that it's impossible to determine whether this was an act of malice or incompetence speaks volumes. All I ask is, at this perhaps late stage, for Graham Pohl to be manacled to a rock in the sea for eternity, in the very least. I politely request that you see to it in the interest of fairness at the earliest time possible. I'm sure to be missing some out here, but let's fast forward a tad to Vincent Company sending off against United in the FA Cup in 2012. This was a tackle so clean that he didn't even touch the opponent, who pointedly didn't even appeal to the ref. Even the most ardent rag wouldn't have batted an eyelid if the tackle had gone unpunished. Yet somehow, Company managed to get a four-game ban for it, as City failed in their confident appeal against the decision. Despite exiting the FA Cup that season, we managed to have an half-decent campaign, winning the league in the dying moments of some anonymously reasonable added-on time. The exception that proves the rule, you might say. In the years that followed, we signed Raheem Sterling. This man is a walking catalogue of penalties that should have been but weren't given. The amount of time Sterling has been upended, tripped, floored and launched over in the penalty area are too innumerable for me to list here. Suffice to say, don't think we didn't notice. The Guardioli years have seen us resort to the only reasonable solution to combat this obvious agenda. Build a team so good, so resolute and so unstoppable that these ridiculous decisions are cancelled out over the course of a domestic season. Which brings us to the Champions League. My God, the UEFA Champions League. That really is a whole other separate nest of writhing vipers, isn't it? I honestly haven't got the time to get into that right now, as I'm currently putting the finishing touches to a contested parking ticket from 2003. I didn't park, I just drove through the damn thing. And anyway, I'm not even sure that it's the same mob that I need to write to in order to set things straight on that. But be warned, everyone, there is a lot of material there. Yours, perpetually apoplectic, Chris Higginbottom, The South Stand. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That's Higgy's letter to PGMOL. Hopefully they'll uh, go on and do something about it. That's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests for this one, Richard Burns. Thank you very much. And Casey. Cheers. I'll be back next week, so I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can, and don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. I've heard through the grapevine, we had a very mouthy uh, employee of the club, I won't mention names, and he said, like, Keegan was waxing lyrical straight after the game, and it was almost uh, after that. It was good. So whether it was this goal or not, that's uh, give you years of disappointment under Macken, but yeah, he, he was a god to us. He was part of one of the best teams in 40 years at Deepdale Macken, so, you know, anyone in that squad was idolised. Yeah. 
Dan, um, I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's um, bitter of me to say so, but uh, I'm almost certain there's a foul in the build up to that goal. Um, <laughs> there's there's a hand on Sean Goat's head as he as he goes up to win the ball, and like any 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 good referee worth his salt would have given that. I think. <laughs> what and denials one of the uh, one of the great well, the great goals. Yeah. Yeah. You. You kill joy, David Mooney. <laughs> my uh, my overriding memory of John Macken at City is that one time I uh, was getting his autograph outside Main Road and he was signing my shirt and I had a baseball cap on. And when he put his head up from signing my shirt, his nose caught the peak of my cap and knocked the <laughs> cap off my head and blew away and I had to run after my cap to get it. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>